Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning everybody, it's a wonderful privilege to be here. My name as Quinton said is Gabe Phillips. I'm the husband of one wife. But that's already overachieving for a redhead, so I'll take it. Uh, her name is Fiona Phillips, and we've got a beautiful eight-month-old uh, daughter called Olivia, and I'm on staff here at Life Changes, and it's a massive privilege to be able to preach here this morning at Tableview. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to read a big, chunky portion of Scripture this morning as we launch a new four-week series out of the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles, Daniel is an Old Testament book. It's a, at about roughly just past the middle. It's a 12-chapter book. We're going to read one chapter today. So take a deep breath. It's going to be big. It's going to be good. But we're really excited about this because we... We believe that we can, if as we read Scripture, even if I preach bad, at least we've read the Word of God together. So it's a good thing. So open your hearts. We believe the Word of God is the highest authority in our lives, not an emotive sermon, not a great opinion, but the Word of God. So as I believe, the Scripture calls us to not neglect the public reading of Scripture. This is a holy moment. As we read the Word of God and give it honor in our hearts, I pray that God would even do a work in your heart as we read. Everyone okay with that? Uh, those on the balcony? Wonderful to see you all. Nice to be together. Let's read together. It's the whole chapter, Daniel chapter 1. It'll be on the screen now. During the third year of King Joachim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Joachim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Obviously, you're thinking of me right now. Just, just anyway, we'll move on. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned him a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin, I don't know what's wrong with that. Anyway, (laughs) let's keep reading. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. 
God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked to them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. If you were hoping to get some of your reading done for the week there, you've done a whole week's worth in one go. Let's pray as you sit. Father, I thank you this morning for the privilege of gathering and worshiping and reading your word and, and, and having your word taught to us. I thank you, Father, that your word is truth. Now would you sanctify us, change us by your truth. We thank you, Father God, that you are here to shape us and mold us, and we open our heart to respond to you. And Father, we also ask, would you forgive those men who gave the 2023 World Cup to France and not to South Africa? Forgive them, for they did not know what they were doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Big moments for us. I want to tell you this is an exciting four-week series before we get up to the Christmas season. Um, This is a book, an exciting book that is filled with incredible stories. There's stories of ordinary slave men who get unusual authority from a king and and audiences with kings in a foreign land. There's stories of three men who get thrown into a fire and aren't burnt. There's stories of an invisible hand that starts to write warnings on king's walls. There's stories of a man who is thrown into a lion's den and the mouth of the lion is shut for the whole evening. It's the greatest lion taming act you'll ever see. All these stories happen in this book, but that is not why it excites us. It excites us not only because it happened, but because we believe it still happens. We believe this book, Daniel, is a history book, the first six chapters, but the last six chapters are prophecy of what is yet to come. We believe that it's not just that a book of what happened, but that we believe in a God who still intervenes in ordinary people's lives, still wants to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. We believe that this book is for us here and now. And we're so excited about that. I'm excited to preach this book to us this morning. Let me give you some context of what's happened here and bring you up to speed. The nation Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, if you want to know geographically where we're talking, Babylon is this mighty empire that comes and invades Israel. As foretold by the, the prophecies, God says, if you continue disobeying me, Israel, I'm going to hand you over to your enemies. And Israel, don't heed the warning. So the enemy comes over the hill. Babylon comes in a mighty siege. He, they, they ransack the nation, they, 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 capture, they take the nation captive, and they take a whole bunch of people back to with them, along with a whole bunch of uh, elements from the temple. They just totally destroy the nation and its identity and its religious uh, affiliation, and it take, the nation of Babylon takes the nation Israel into captivity for 70 years. It's called the exile. It takes them out of their homeland into a land that is not their own, where they live as foreigners, as slaves to a foreign king. This is, as I said, this is not something that just happened, but I believe this is something that happens. This is something that's happening to you and I. I want to give us a a wake-up check just right now. Every scholar agrees that right now, in this side of Christianity, or this side of the cross, that we as Christ followers are living in exile. Just to let you know, this is not the promised land. 
We live as a people, as the scripture 1 Peter says, you're aliens and strangers in this world. Well, this is not our home. We have a home that is coming. The, the, the writers to the, in the New Testament use this word again and again, the parousia. It means the second coming of Christ. And they said, live with anticipation that He is coming back for you. A day when there will be no more sickness. A day when there will be no more death. When there will be no more sorrow. When all of these mortal pangs and pains will be put to death as Christ is King fully and completely. And we live parousia with our eyes lifted up waiting for that day. Jeremiah, the prophet, if you're wanting to know, he lived in this time of Babylon, these 70 years. And uh, you might know of the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. If you've been around church any length of time, or you might have seen it on a coffee cup or on the back of your grandma's bathroom. Um, it's a scripture that says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, for hope, a future, not to harm you. And everyone goes, amen. The problem was, that wasn't prophesied in a beautiful church service moment with pads playing. And a guy prophesying. It wasn't in a revival moment. It wasn't even in a godly nation. Jeremiah prophesied that while he was in Babylon in exile as a slave. This is the exciting thing for us, that he saw that there would be a future day when there will be restoration, a future day when they'll be able to go home and they'll be rejoicing in their land where they would be fully free. And that's where we find ourselves. We right now, are in this culture, in this day and age where we live, we need to know that we have a home that's coming. But the question remains, how do we then live here and now? In this mortal life that you and I have got, how do we live on the Monday to Fridays of our work weeks and our, in the very humdrum ordinary days of marriage, of kids, of poo nappies, of sleepless nights, of paying bills, of waiting for the payday? How do we live here and now? I want to suggest to you that Christianity has often offered two options for us. The first option on this side is that actually we are called to abandon culture, abandon the world around us. Let's put your head in the sand. Let's, make, let's get a bomb shelter. Let's get angry Facebook uh, comments and statuses to just really ram at the government and anything that's wicked. We actually call, we just say, that's sin, that's sin. We name sin and we hide away, hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil. And the church, we keep our heads down, we sing Kumbaya, and we wait till the great rapture comes. We abandon it, and we, and we vilify culture. It's us versus them. Stay away from the, the, the evil, the badlands, boy. And there's that one option, we abandon culture. On the other side, there's another branch who say, no, we just assimilate with culture. And we become like a mirror, and we just reflect the culture, and we just go along with the flow. We look like the culture. We look no different to culture. We watch the same shows as the culture. We have to tell the same jokes. We just blend in. We emphasize, and this, this side, we emphasize truth. There's truth, but no grace. On this side, we emphasize grace, but no truth. But I want to say to you, this book, Daniel, gives us a playbook, an understanding of how we are supposed to embrace and live in the here and now. And a third option, neither to abandon nor assimilate, but rather to affect culture. Well, we're not called just to endure and wait for that day, but we're actually called to influence. This is what we are called. This is the call that we are given in the series, and we're hoping to do this justice as we preach for the next four weeks. <coughs> because Jesus said he came full of truth, full of grace. And he called us, you and I, do you know what he actually has called us? He's called us salt and light. He says no one hides the light. They put it on the stand for it to be seen. They call us a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He's called us to be in the culture, but not of it. But affecting it, influencing it. And that's what I want to posture our hearts with this morning. So I want to ask you this. The whole emphasis of the next four weeks basically can summed up in one line like this. We'll be going through these chapters and these narratives. 
But we also, how do you have a faith that stands when everyone else is bolting or bowing to the culture? How do we have a faith that stands when everything inside us wants to run from or actually just submit to? How do we have a faith that stands? So this morning, actually, my job is simple. I want to give you this handle, one, two practical handles from this, uh, this passage we read and from the narrative, greater narrative of Scripture of how to say no when it'll be easier to go with the flow. I want to help you this morning to say how to say no when it'll be easier to go with the flow. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, this morning I'm saying no. It's good. It's nice to make sure that you guys are awake. So I want to say this morning, when you know you need to stand up, but everything inside of you wants to run, when you know that you, want to, you keep finding yourself falling at the same hurdle, the same temptation, you don't know how to stand, you, don't know how to, you just feel that actually you're powerless, I want to give you two implications that help you say no when it'll be easier just to go with the flow. Number one, it'll be on the screen behind us, you have to know that you are called. You are called. If you read in the scripture, this narrative, the first thing the Babylonian Empire does with these four young men, four men's, men, plural, plural of men is men's. No, it's not. These four young men, they take them, and what the chief of staff does, if you notice it, he takes these four men, these Jewish men, he renames them with Babylonian names. Now, this is nothing new. This is the oldest trick in the book. This is not something the Babylonians made up. Every empire that comes and conquers another empire, when they take them captive, the first thing they do is rename them according to the culture of the day. The reason why is because they say if we can get them to believe who they are is actually not who they are, but they start to believe and condition themselves that this is who they really are, they will be able to change their behavior easily. This is how people get duped into, into foreign cultures. This is what they do. They said, we're going to change their names. Now, it might seem, what's wrong with that? Nothing too fundamental. I want to help us understand this morning what happened in this moment. There are four names that we get given. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Let me tell you, Daniel's name means God is my judge. A man who had been called by God and his forefathers to, to be a man who stands with integrity, a man who's going to stand when the rest of the world goes this way, he's going to hold the plumb line. God is my judge. They change his name to Belteshazzar. Now, not a popular name anymore, Belteshazzar. I'll tell you the reason why. It means Lady Protector of the King. We chuckle amongst ourselves, but the enemy gets in there, and a man who's called to stand with integrity, they go after not just a new name, but his actual identity, and they go after sexuality, and they go and they try and twist this and say, no, this is who you are, a new allegiance, and you're actually not as masculine as you thought you were. Huge, lady, protector of the king, the man Hananiah. His name means awed by the goodness of God. I can imagine Hananiah, his name, awed by the goodness of God, walks around singing, you are good. Good always. Like, yes, you sing that song a lot. He's like, he is good always. He goes into captivity and they change his name. A man who knows the goodness of God, they change it to fearful of God. Shadrach means fearful of God. Not fearing God, but fearful, scared of God. They, they don't only just go after Daniel's sexuality and change that identity element. They go after this man's ability to see who God really was and put a line there. You're supposed to be scared of God. The next guy they get in there, Mishael, his name means confidence in God. He's probably singing this song. I've seen you move. 
You move the mountains, and I believe you're going to do it again. Confident in God. He gets into Babylon. They say, yeah, your name's changed. It's going to be called ashamed and defeated. Meshach means ashamed and defeated. Confident to ashamed. The final guy, Azariah, his song is God is my helper. Yahweh is my helper. They, what they change his name to slave of Nego, Abednego. Slave of Nego, a foreign idol, a foreign God. You're a slave to that God. That what seems just a quick four verses, they changed their names, was a subtle, but actually not so subtle attempt to rip out the guts of their identity and name them by a different name. Because I want to tell you this, this is the ploy of the enemy we need to be aware of. The enemy wants to name you. I say this again, it's not that it happened, it happens. We could all tell story. I get to tell the one story this morning. Years ago, I moved from, uh, from Durban to Life Changes here to become the youth pastor, to serve a church with a passion. I had felt the call of God. God had called me to be a messenger of God, to speak truth, to help build this church. I was young, a little bit insecure, trying to find my way in this journey, served the church here. And after about a year, we had a moment where uh, I, was, I was just sitting in on elders meeting, and these were incredible men, godly men. And there was a time in the meeting in a room in this church where, and this is not a slight on these men, this is a slight on my heart and the enemy who wants to get in. But there's a moment where Wally said after a year about a young 22-year-old redhead, skinny redhead with lots of passion, but a lot of not much wisdom, but it was growing in the, the things God had called them to. Wally said this to the guy, he said, guys, I, I, wanna, I wanna bring Gabe onto eldership. I'm sitting in the room there. And uh, again, this is, there was so many other factors at play. So this is not about those guys, this is about what happened here. But one of those guys said this word, it, just, it was like a gut reflex, said, he's not qualified. He's unqualified. I sat there and I thought, maybe I should step out the room for this conversation. And, uh, and I remember this, and, and it went back and forth, and there was a lot of other things at play. And, and, it was just, and I just felt there was just like in that moment, just with that word, unqualified, echoed over me. I remember walking out and, and dealing with insecurities inside. And for the next couple of weeks, the internal wrestle that was going on, I was going, I went from, from absolute anger at these guys. You know, they can take the church. I don't want, I don't want any part. I'm here to serve the church. I don't want the title. Who cares anyway? Who do they think they are? To actually, to moroseness and going inside, going, actually that word unqualified started to sink in. And I started, the enemy started again going, actually, you are unqualified. Actually, you, you, you're young, very young. You've never gone to Bible college. What are you going to teach people? Life experience, <laughs> nothing. You're not married. You've got no kids. How can you preach and teach? How can you hold the office of an elder at a local church? And this word started to get in deeper than just here. You unqualified God, and that starts to rename who I was. A man who was called to be a messenger of God starts to walk with a limp. I'm actually unqualified. And I remember after two or three weeks of this wrestling, I phoned my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm done. Coming back to Durban. I said, I can't do this. If they don't want me here, if this, if this is the thing they say, if this is the word they're saying, you know what, it's a better off. I'll come home, I'm appreciated there at least. And I thank God for the community of faith, which my dad is a part of. There's other voices who spoke in different moments, but my dad spoke this in a quiet way. He said, Gab, who, who called you to Cape Town? I sat there quietly, and I reluctantly said, God called me. Because I knew where this line of questioning was going. And actually he said, okay, if God's called you, he will sustain that, but you've got to be obedient to what he's called you. 
know what man's called you, know what the voice of the enemy calls you. And in that moment, I thank God for that. I had to respond. And again, it wasn't an automatic thing. I've had to every day. The lie of the enemy still rears up. Unqualified, it shouts over me. Especially when I've reacted badly in the week and I get up to preach or I haven't responded as well as I should have. And you get up to preach and the enemy's at the back there, not one of you guys on the balcony, I promise you. But the enemy's shouting out, unqualified. And I have to remember who's called me. Who's the one who sustained the call? Who's named me? Who has called me to this thing? I am called a different name. And I really believe this morning as I'm preparing this, as I remember that story, I believe that the enemy has been shouting that word over a number of us this morning for a long time. He's been whispering in your ear, unqualified. You're unqualified as a husband. The way you keep reacting, you're unqualified. You let that settle in and you're actually saying, actually, maybe it's better if I just leave for everyone else just to keep the peace. Maybe say, I'm unqualified as a parent. I'm unqualified as a leader. I'm unqualified to make a difference in my work because I've just, actually, I've made too many mess-ups. I've lost my temper too many times. Unqualified. The enemy's got in there and has renamed you. This morning, I believe this is the truth, that the enemy will name you by your past. The enemy will name you by what you've done or what you haven't done. That's his modus operandi. The enemy will remind you again and again of where you've come from. But here's the truth, is that God names you by your future and what he has done. The enemy will consistently remind you of where you come from. He said, that's where you've been. But Jesus will consistently remind you where you're going. He's more concerned about your future than where you come from. This is the gospel that we have to understand in this journey. You you need some proof. This is all over scripture. There's a man named Abram. And he lives for 75 years as a man without any children. 75 years is a long time. But at the age of 75, with an elderly wife named Sarai, angel of the Lord appears to him and says, I'm going to rename you Abraham, which means father of many nations. You can imagine Abraham saying, is this one of those like, like irony things, God, where you call the fat guy tiny? You know, is it like one of those things? Hey, father of many nations. Yeah, hey, thanks. A little bit hurtful, but I laugh along. He says, no, I'm going to make it happen. Now, can I tell you the amazing thing? When God named him Father of the Many Nations, there was no evidence of it. Do you know when the kid came? 25 years later. Now, let me tell you, 25 years is a long time. Let's rewind. 25 years ago is 1992. In 1992, most of us still thought Millie Vanilli were the real deal. It's a long time ago. In 1992, some of us still thought that Home Alone was only going to have one movie. They've had multiple. Some of us thought Macaulay Culkin was really good looking. 1992, I was Daniel Van Pletzen's age. I was four. My wife was two. We were not in a relationship then. <laughs> Just in case. want to clear the playing field. 25 years is a long time to have this identity. Can you imagine him going to parties and going with the family, bring his cooler box of drinks to a bride? And they go, hey, what's your name, bud? I'm Abraham, father of many nations. They go, cool, we're the kids. Well, it's a funny story. He was named something, but the enemy had many years to remind him, no, 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 where's the evidence? What, look at the past. What have you done? Where is it? But God had called him something. Let me give you one more example. A man named Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Profound moment. Peter. Jesus gets up and Peter, and after this great revelatory moment about Christ and who Jesus is, he says, Peter, in response to this, I'm going to rename you Cephas, the, Peter, the rock. The original Dwayne Johnson, you are the rock. That's what his name is. 
And I can imagine Peter going, I'm the rock. And the other disciples going, you must be joking. He's the most unstable, volatile, emotionally driven guy of the lot of us. Even Judas is better than this dude. At that present moment, he did not, he was not very rock-like in his response. So much so that actually three verses down from being called, you are the rock. Three verses down, Jesus is saying to him, get behind me, Satan. He doesn't respond well, front-footed. I'm the rock. Not only that, that wasn't even his worst day. You think being called Satan would be your worst day. No, Peter can go lower. It's like, I've got this. Peter denies Jesus three times, denies him. The third time we told in one translation that he did it with an eye shot of Jesus. Looking at Jesus, I don't know him. Most of us will go, unforgivable sin. Well, not according to Jesus. Jesus said, no, I've named him. I've called him. I've called this man the rock. Years later, even for more false starts, he gets called out for being an, an, an overt racist. Paul says, you're a racist, buddy, Peter. But can I tell you, God had called him, and though he who calls is faithful, if we had time, we would get to 1 and 2 Peter and see the rock in action, establishing and stabilizing the church at time of conflict and fear and panic, because Jesus named him the rock, not based on his past or what he'd done or hadn't done, but on his future. Let me tell you, this is good news. Jesus has seen you at your worst. Great news. He knows your worst thoughts. He knows your worst uh, intentions. He knows all the gross misaligned nature inside of you, and yet he still has called you son, daughter, beloved, righteousness of God. He calls you more than conqueror. This is not speak yourself up. This is the truth of God. How do I know this? It's not based on how good you are. It's based on how good he is. Because this is where we have to understand, when I say you are called, not because of your greatness or your great track record or, you have, or your, your promises to do better. No, you are called because Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said, I am making a trade for your ungodliness and your, your sinful nature. I'm giving you my righteousness. And he gave us his righteousness and we said, that is what we are. We are the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God and it's a gift. It's not earned. It's imparted. It's called imputation. The imputed righteousness of God has been given to you and I. That's what you and I have been called. I want to land this point by saying, become more consumed with your calling than with your sin. Can we become more consumed with our calling, who Jesus has called us to be, than our sin? I'll give you this reason why. Because Jesus is more consumed with your calling than your sin. He's died for your sin so that he can rename you son and daughter. Second point, and understanding this, it's not we're not only just called, we are empowered. We're not just called in your name, we're empowered. This is not some light, fluffy version, speak yourself up, just name it and claim it. I'm a new creation, the head and not the tail, Yes! And then just stumble along around and deny the facts. No, no, no. The great news of the gospel is that we haven't just been sent out a new name. Now, good luck. We'll see you in heaven. Stumbling, getting left, hit right, hit. Oh, trying to make it. Repenting as we go, crawling. I hope I, hope I get through this. No, we haven't been sent out to the wolves to die. We're not powerless to temptation, though many of us live like we are. I, I, I really, I want to tell you that you and I have been given the Spirit of God. We've been empowered by the Spirit of God to walk in that new name. 
We've been given the Spirit of God as a divine deposit to walk in our calling, to walk it out. When we receive His righteousness, you get the double whammy that you get, is that you get given the Holy Spirit empowerment. This is not for elite few. This is for everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. You cannot be made new and been given a new name if you have not been given the Spirit of God that quickens your mortal being. He has to understand. Let's go to the Scripture because the Scripture tells us in that thing of Daniel is that Daniel decided not to defile himself with these, with these foods, the foods that have been sacrificed to idols. Can I tell you, Daniel had two choices. He could have abandoned it and written on Facebook, I can't believe the king is making us eat this. Hashtag can't believe it. It's going to be a new trend. And, and then like, and sulk his way around the temple. Oh, I don't want to eat that, but I can't believe he made me eat it. I'm a, you know, I'm an Israelite. You know? This is who I am. I'm Daniel. God is my judge. You know? And stomp around. No. He also didn't assimilate and go, oh, you know what, guys? It's just food. Let's just go along with the flow. Cause no fuss. Maybe later on we'll get an opportunity to pray at one of the meals. No, no, he didn't assimilate or, or abandon. He affected the culture. I love this moment of Daniel's response here. <laughs> he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to go with the flow. I'm going to say no, but in a wise way that's going to help us have influence over the culture. This understanding for you and I, as I believe as a preacher once said, the phone is ringing, but we don't have to answer it. That's our battle with sin. That's our battle with temptation. That's the battle with going with the flow. The phone is still ringing, but you and I have been empowered. Not We don't have to answer it. Let me say it this way. The phone of lust is ringing. Have a look. Have a flirt. But you don't have to answer it, sir, man, because you've empowered with the Spirit of God, with a new name. The, spirit, the, the phone is ringing with anger, but you don't have to answer it. The phone is ringing with greed. The phone is ringing with disqualification, but you don't have to pick it up. The phone is ringing with depression, but you don't have to pick it up because you've been empowered to walk in your new name. This is the understanding. The phone is ringing. We don't have to answer it. The scripture says it this way. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Though we live in exile, we have a, a new identity. We get to walk in that. I believe this, this line here, that he will not ask you to do what he has not empowered you to do. God will never ask you to do what he has not empowered you to do. Land, can I call the band up very quickly, please? I want to tell a story of how this lands in our everyday life. And I want to, not, he hasn't paid me to say this, I promise. I want to boast about my friend Mark Van Pletzen years ago. There was a moment that Mark Van Pletzen, man behind us singing, uh, he, had a, he had a massive job uh, with, with, with Unilever. And uh, it was a massive corporate job. And there was a long advertising and marketing strategies and campaigning nationwide. And there was one a product, an Ola product, and they were, they were going to market this. And Mark was new in the job. He had been given favor and he had been given um, opportunity. But he was young and he knew to overstep those boundaries to be careful. He was also a spirit-filled believer in Jesus with a name and empowered by the Spirit of God, called by God. And he was here in Babylon in a culture that did not agree with him, a culture that did not share the same values. But I love the Mark's response in this moment because they had this new campaign that was going to be outrolled across the nation, but it was a highly sexualized campaign to sell the product. And inside, Mark was going, I just can't do that. I just can't give my hours and my effort to go from this lingerie shoot to this one to, to get this campaign out to sell this product. I can't do that. Inside, the phone was ringing, but he said, I can't answer that. And he is faced with the dilemma. 
do I abandon? Do I kick up a fuss and say, listen, the Bible says, and throw it down and actually disqualify himself, actually, but then you've got no seat at this table. Does he assimilate and go, you know, I'll just go along. I just will close my eyes at dodgy moments. I'll just give my thumbs up, but actually I don't really in my heart. Do I affect the culture? And our, our good friend Mark Van Pleeson had, I think, asked God, said, God, if you've called me here, you're going to empower me here. You've not called me here just to survive. You've called me here to thrive and be a representative in exile for you. So God gave him the strategy. In a moment, so he said to, went, went up to the, the lady who was over him and said, actually, I know this is out of my, my wheelhouse, but can I ask, I've got a different idea to sell this product. I've got this, it might cost us money, it's going to cost us a lot of money to scrap all we've done, but I believe this will actually help us with sales. And, and for some reason, just like Daniel, they got favor with the people there. God opens opportunities. When we are faithful to what he has given us, he empowers. And this moment, he got favor, and they outrolled this campaign at a great cost organization. But what happened was that year was the first year that that product broke even. The next year was the first year that it made a profit. Now, I don't say this to elevate Mark, and I might have told the story in a, in a way that he'll probably have to correct at a different time. But the detail, the big details are the truth of what we're trying to get into here, is that I believe God has called us in different areas a new name, son, daughter, to respond differently. He's not only called us a new name, He's also empowered us to actually live that name out. And I believe this is for you and I in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our everyday humdrum lives. This is not for revival meetings or church moments. This is for in the trenches. How do we respond? Do, how do we say no when it'll be easier to go with the flow? Know that you're called. Know that you're empowered. I want to ask a question as we land this morning. Maybe your marriage has gotten so tough, you just want to bolt. You say, I can't do it anymore. I, I can't do it anymore, Gabe. I want to tell you, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Not because you're an amazing husband, but because Jesus is faithful and he's called you to that place. And if he's called you, he will sustain you and he'll empower you if you trust him. I want to say to you this morning, maybe you say that, Gabe, the temptation that has been beating me up for years, I can't beat this thing. This is just who I am. I always fought the same trap again and again and again. That was my story. For years, of, as a teenager, I, keep on, I kept on agreeing with the enemy that I'm, just, I'm one of the, the hundred boys who do the same thing with pornography again and again and again. I've got no self-control. I remember agreeing. I just can't do it. I just got to mask it a little bit better. But the gospel says you've been given a new name. You're not addict. You're not no self-control. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You've been given a new identity. You're the righteousness of God, not based on your ability to say no, but based on His ability to say yes to you. And He's done it for you. So I want to tell you, you're called, you're empowered. Maybe you hate your work environment. You hate it. And you say, I hate going in every day after. I hate it. I can't make a difference there. I want to tell you, yes, you can. I believe Daniel's going to give us a playbook for how we're going to engage our work, our lives, because we understand that we have got a new name, but a new empowering that goes along with it. Righteousness imputed to us. Spirit of God given to us so we can make a difference in this world. Can we close our eyes in this moment? When Jesus walked up that hill of Calvary, bearing the weight of sin and shame on his shoulders, the weight of the world, as Jesus walked up that hill on Calvary, the enemy yelled out, unqualified, Jesus, son of a carpenter, 
Jesus, from that backwater town, Nazareth. Jesus, born out of wedlock. Physician, heal yourself. If you're the king of Jews, call down the angels and save yourself. And the voice of the enemy, the barking dog, barked all the way up the hill. Unqualified, unqualified. But when Jesus died, when he refused to go with the flow, when he said no to the enemy and yes to his father, we hear that Scripture, Philippians 2, tells us that the Father gave him the name above every other name. That we know that in that moment, the Spirit of God released for, for out of Jesus said that we have been raised with Christ and many sons and daughters have been brought to glory. I want to tell you this morning with the confidence of a son of God, the confidence of a messenger of God, the confidence of a man who is unqualified in his own, but qualified by the highest authority of heaven, that that voice that yells unqualified is broken today. If you believe it, if you receive it, and you say, Jesus, I believe that you are more than enough, unqualified can be broken off your life in whatever area I believe it, because the gospel works. If you today are saying, I am done believing the lie that I am unqualified in my marriage, in my workplace, as a follower of Christ, I'm unqualified as a parent, I'm unqualified as, as somebody told my temper, I'm unqualified for the call of God. If you're saying, today I'm done with believing that lie, I'd love to ask you to stand, because I want to pray and release Spirit of freedom over you and I. Father, right now in this room, spiritual temperature is risen because men and women are responding to your word in faith. Thank you, Father God, that your word, when activated by faith, sees lives changed. So, Father God, I thank you for this faith, even if it's small as a mustard seed to this morning, will be activated by your word. Your word comes to you and says, you are called son, daughter, righteousness of God, beloved, more than conqueror. This is who you are. And I thank you, Father God, that right now in this moment, you're pouring out your spirit into those names, into those identities. And you're saying, I'm empowering you to walk out this out. The phone is ringing. You don't have to answer it. I thank you, Father God, that you are opening up new lives, new seasons, that we can say no and we, when it's easier to go with the flow because we have a king who has gone before us. Why don't you lift your hands to Jesus? Lift up your hands. It's not me ministering. It's, he wants to minister his, his grace, his empowerment to you in this moment.